Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Thursday, July 1st, so you can grind on a grass court? That's the question all of us were asking ourselves as we watched Angelique Kerber's and Sarah Cerebus Tormo's second round match continue to unfold deep into a third set. Obviously, have to recap that match as we talk about day four at the 2021 Wimbledon on today's podcast. I also want to talk about the match that, in my opinion, had the highest ceiling of any women's match we've seen thus far. Now, it wasn't the sustained excellence of Kerber and Cerebus Tormo, which wins match of the day status, but in Yelena Ostapenko and Daria Kasakina, who are two players who went head-to-head in round two on day four, you had two players with legitimate second-week aspirations coming into this Wimbledon. For Kasakina, she makes the finals in Birmingham. She makes the quarterfinals last week before losing a tight three-set match. Match to Ostapenko for Ostapenko. She's obviously coming off of a title last week. She's a former semifinalist, made a quarterfinals on a different occasion at this event as well. One of the few players with serious pedigree on the grass courts entering this event. Two players who were dangerous, and to see them have to face off in round two, certainly that's a shame, as this would have made a fantastic week two match, but we were treated to a wonderful result, and ultimately, Yelena Ostapenko able to sustain her level down the home stretch. She earns an 8-6 in the third victory. Going to talk about that match as well. Want to break down FAA Mikhail Emer because that was my favorite men's match I watched on the day. Of course, we'll talk upsets. We'll talk matches that went the distance. All of the results from the top seeds. We'll preview day five. I also want to talk about the tennis abstract forecasts as well as the odds right now, the futures odds currently for who is going to take home this Wimbledon title because, of course, we are now through the first two rounds. It's time to take stock. We've got the top 32 players allegedly left in the draw round of 32 third round. So let's see what the odds makers, what the consensus, the math says we should expect to see unfold over the next 10 days of action. Of course, before I do any of that, I want to remind all of you listeners that the reason we are able to go daily throughout these Grand Slams and the reason we're able to provide as much coverage as we do here at Crack Rackets week in, week out, day in, day out, is because of the support we get from all of you listeners, from our Crack Rackets Patreon family. I do do want to remind all of you, if you're interested in some additional content, matches of the day, every day for our Patreon subscribers, 15 to 20 minute segments, I break down my favorite match of each day at Wimbledon, talk about the recent results for the players, talk about the advanced metrics for these players, offer my keys to the match, make a prediction as well. Uh, again, it's Similar to these podcasts, just more specific, one topic general. A shout out, as always, to our Crack Rackets Patreon subscribers, with whom, without whom, we would not be able to do all of the things that we do. But again, if you're looking for bonus content, you can find the Patreon channel on our website, crackrackets.com. And of course, here on the Mini Break Podcast, we wouldn't be able to do anything day in, day out without the support we get from our friends at Tennis Point. You guys already know it's summertime, new gear. Fresh shirt, fresh shorts, your shoes a little bit torn up, your socks, there are holes just everywhere in them. It's time to order the fresh Nike pair, or maybe it's time to upgrade rackets. Maybe it's time to change your strings. Maybe you don't know you need to change, but you have some people, or you want to ask someone who is considered an expert. That's where our friends at Tennis Point come in. You go to tennis-point.com. You can find the nicest team who are offering all of the best equipment at all of the best prices. You use our promo code CR15. You'll get 
15% off your order. Free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. Remember, it's tennis-point, the symbol, not the spelling, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With that in mind, let's talk about day four of the 2021 Wimbledon. And as promised, you got to start with the three-and-a-half-hour grind. That was number 25 seed Angelique Kerber's three-set win over Sarah Cerebez Tormo. You look in the end, it's Kerber who ultimately prevails 7-5-5-7-6-4. This match had a little bit of everything blown match points, an overcome 5-2 deficit, or not overcome, but I should say a comeback from Cerebas Tormo down 5-2 in the second set, able to work her way back, get a rare hold, get a rare, uh, or then break immediately back, put some pressure on Kerber. Of course, Kerber ultimately breaks at love with some fantastic aggression herself to close out the third set 6-4. I saw a stat floating out there from Ben Rothenberg and you know, again, this is not a shot at Ben. I just didn't see the tweet closely enough to know how official the metric was, if this was from the IBM stats counter, if this was from him taking stats during the match. Anyways, he said that there was about a 9.4 shot average it per rally in the third set of this match. That's the highest of the tournament. If you watch the match, that statistic makes sense. This match was a grind physical tennis at its finest. It was fantastic to watch, and especially in a tournament where you don't see a lot of that, where you see, you know, four to eight shot rallies and a lot of first ball errors, a lot of big serve that cause missed returns, or a lot of easy first volleys, a lot of easy shots to open space. It's tough to play on the run on the grass court because obviously it's so difficult to find your footing as we've learned through the first four days, but you know, neither of these players have the sort of plus-plus power. Think Sabalenka, think Rabakina, uh, where they're just going to blast through the court. They both like to shape their rallies. They both like to counterpunch and absorb and redirect the pace of their opponents and outlast them physically. And because that's both of these players' strengths, again, it's like, you know, your button heads. It's when you put me and Dalton on a tennis court, expect 45 ball rallies because that's all he does. And I'm not going to put him in a position where he can beat me doing that. So I'm just going to outgrind him. And that's what Angelique, in this situation, I'm Angelique Kerber. Only I usually win 0-0. She wins three sets. Anyways, the point being for Angelique Kerber, a little bit more gumption down the home stretch. I think You know, there was a lucky break for her, 4-2, 30-all. She plays a fantastic on-the-run forehand down the line passing shot to earn 40-30. That's not the lucky break. It comes on the next rally. She hits a serve, and, you know, these serves were... Look, these serves were very attackable from both Angelique Kerber and Sarah Cerebus Tormo. For Angelique Kerber, she makes 71% of her first serves in this match. You usually think you do that number, you're going to win comfortably, right? Well, she won only 63% of her first serve points. For us, only 63. 63% is pretty good, uh, but 40% of her second serve points. Meanwhile, Cerebus Tormo, 50% of her first serve points won. 54% of her second serve points won. Makes sense. She hits the same serve on both serves. Look, Kerber, 8 of 14 on break points. Cerebus Tormo, 7 of 20 on break points. There were a healthy amount of break point chances in this match, but credit to Angelique Kerber. She had a little bit more power off of both wings. The ability to go down the line with that backhand and attack that slice of Cerebus Tormo, or at least make her hit 
an on-the-run two-handed backhand passing shot because, you know, she would throw up the slice lob, but Kerber was pretty good at either A, hitting that ball as an overhead, or B, you know, the lob didn't get high enough and it was an easy put-away volley for Kerber. I just think she was a little bit better hitting that backhand down the line, comfortable hitting that forehand when she had time, inside out, attacking the Cerebas Tormo forehand, and to Cerebas Tormo's credit, why this match was so close is because even when Kerber asked questions of the -the on-the-run forehand, Cerebas Tormo hits that ball so well, and yes, she hits the slice on the backhand side, but she's also very comfortable moving forward, and she uses that slice to lull you asleep, and she's so quick, and her footwork's so precise, she's able to get around that ball, hit it inside and forehand, sneak in behind it, put away the volley to the open court, which is all you need to do on these grass courts if you're creating enough space for yourself, and that's what she did. She also had some excellent pokes, showing off her length at the net and just getting her racket on the ball, getting it over the net, and again, on a grass surface, it's so much more difficult to track down that second volley. As long as you can make it in the court, you're usually winning that point, but you know, Cerebas Tormo was a little bit more defensive in the biggest moments. Kerber had a little bit more firepower from the baseline. That's ultimately what carried Kerber over the finish line in this match, but look, credit to Sarah Cerebas Tormo, who you now look here in 2021, 20 and 11, During the span of this season, that includes runs for her to the title in Guadalajara. She also made a semifinal in Monterey. She made a semifinal in Bad Hamburg. In the run-up to this event where she lost to Katarina Sinyakova, you look for her uh, in the Grand Slams this year. You know, Clay Court, three-set loss to Sai Sai Zhang first round. That was disappointing. Australia, she loses to Gavrilova. That was disappointing. But, you know, this was... A very good showing. This was her best showing at a slam of the year here. Not only does she make second round, but beats Anaconia first round. Had Kerber in this match. She absolutely had her opportunities. Again, that first set was a toss-up. Second set, she fights off a match point, I believe, to ultimately take it 7-5. Third set, she overcomes the 5-2 deficit. Again, it was a net court. I never got back, so what was the unlucky moment? 40-30, 4-2, Kerber serving, and again, when Kerber got the break, multiple deuce game. For Kerber to even hold for 3-2, multiple deuce, or excuse me, Kerber was broken back for 3-2 because she had broken for 3-1. Cerebus Tormo breaks back for 3-2. In that game, again, a ton of deuce in both of those games. 3-2, excuse me, uh, 40-30. Kerber serving for a 5-2 lead. She hits a backhand over the net, trickles over the net tape. Hits the net tape and just trickles over. There's nothing Cerebus Tormo can do. That solidifies the hold for Kerber 5-2. That little extra cushion, that extra hold was all she needed. She breaks at love. Some fantastic aggressive hitting. Great inside-out forehand to draw a forehand error for love 30. And then the backhand down the line winner on match point, which hopefully you all have seen at this point. Kerber's playing some fantastic tennis. And again, you look for Cerebus Tormo, who's 20 and 11 this season, 33 and 18 in her last 52, up to number 50 in the world, but certainly playing better than that. You look for her this year in terms of her ELO ranking, number 34. In terms of 2021 ELO, you look for her in terms of total ELO, she's number 37. I agree with that. Does she have the weapons of a top 15, top 20 player? No, but she has the relentlessness of a top 50 player. And I think she's closer to sniffing bottom half of a top seed, that Alexandrova category, that 30 
you know, that 25 to 40 category than she is to being outside of the top 50. Sarah Saribas Tormo on the rise. She played a fantastic match, but you look for Angelique Kerber now, 19-13 in her last 52. Obviously, with the five wins at Bad Hamburg, the title she won in the run-up to this event, she's now at an eight-match win streak that is noted because she was 11-13 and 13 coming into uh, those two grass court events, and you look for her this season, though, she's been on the doorstep. Three-set loss to Ostapenko in Rome. We know how—I'm well, about to talk about how well Ostapenko's been playing of late. She loses to Kvitova in Madrid. She loses to Svitolina in Stuttgart, and if you watch that match, Kerber had a bunch of opportunities. Clay courts have never been her best surface. I thought she played really well during the clay court portion of the year, came really close in a bunch of different matches, just wasn't quite able to get over the hump. Now we get onto the grass courts where you look in her career, 65% win percentage on hard courts, 56% win percentage on clay. She's 80 and 29, a 73% win percentage on these grass courts. She is as good of a returner on grass courts as she is on any other surface. She gets the requisite bounce in effectiveness on serve that everyone gets when you play grass court tennis. Angela Kerber fit as a fiddle right now, playing her best game. Now, again, if you look at the last 52, the advanced metrics don't love her. She's 34th, excuse me, in terms of her hold percentage. She's 24th in terms of her break percentage. That's a player who should be ranked in the 25 to 40 range as well, but she's peaking right now. And we know Angelique Kerber's peak can be top 10, top 5. You look at her accomplishments, number one in the world back in 2016. Given the uncertainty of the, her event, some may have thought, okay, Serena's the veteran or Kvitova's the veteran we should be watching out for. No, it's Angelique Kerber. She has played her best stuff. You look right now, DraftKings futures odds for winning this event. Angelique Kerber currently the seventh favorite overall, plus 1,300. But you look at Tennis Abstract's singles forecast, she's the second favorite, a 10.8% chance of winning. That's second only to Ashley Barty, who's at 30.2%. I would agree more probably with the draw forecast than I would the odds. Barty, if healthy, she's the favorite right now. But then outside of her, I would put Kerber, Sabalenka, Muguruza, Ostapenko, all in that same category of player. And I know she's sixth, and I just named four names, so that would put her top five. But she's a lot closer to being top three, in my opinion, than she is to being number six. Angelique Kerber playing her best stuff. She's got Sasnovich in her next match. Then she'd play the winner of Coco Goff, Kaya Yuvan to make uh, the quarterfinals. It would be the winner of the quartet, Lynette Bedosa, Mukva Pavlachenkova. Coco Goff's the scariest name on that list. And again, this stage of a, of a slam it would be a round of 16 match between her and Kerber. Certainly, we just saw Goff make a quarterfinal at the French Open, but is she ready to beat Angelique Kerber on that stage? If she is, I think she's ready to win this tournament, but certainly Angelique Kerber, if she continues this form, she's ready to win it as well. Physical, physical match, that's always something to watch out for, but she ultimately advances 7-5, to advance to round number three of the 2021 Wimbledon. Now, I mentioned the fact Angelique Kerber, second right now in your tennis abstract uh, singles wins forecast. You want to know who's number third, uh, number three, according to both odds makers and the tennis abstract Wimbledon forecast? It's Yelena Ostapenko, 
who comes through today against Daria Kasakina, a match that the moment the draws came out, we talked on our draw preview pod, was going to be one of those inflection points in the tournament. Whoever got through that match had the opportunity to do a ton of damage later on in this event. Ultimately, it is Yelena Ostapenko who's able to advance as she gets a three-set win over Daria Kasakina. 6-1, Ostapenko was up a set and a break in this match, and it looked like she was on cruise control. The first serve was landing at 60%. She was winning over 60% of her first serve points. She was winning over 50% of her second serve points. She was breaking Kasakina seemingly at will. It was so difficult for Kasakina to find anything on her front foot. It just felt like she was running side to side to side to side, and the match was playing exactly on Ostapenko's terms, and then it wasn't. And then Ostapenko started misfiring a little bit. And into credit to Daria Kasakina, who I have mentioned before on these podcasts this week, so I apologize for repeating myself. She's just able to introduce an element of physicality into a grass court match that you don't ordinarily see. She is a comfortable mover on a surface that makes you uncomfortable moving. And again, it's go put socks on and go run on a slippery wood floor. That's what it feels like sometimes on these grass courts, particularly when the moisture has accumulated. There's a word you expected to hear, or a phrase, the moisture has accumulated um, on these grass courts as it has. And yet she looks comfortable moving right, moving left, hitting on the run, and her ability because of her athleticism to manufacture down-the-line power when stretched and hitting to open space. She can also hit that ball cross-court with pace, with depth, with angle. I'm not saying she does it every time, but she is capable of doing it. And, you know, again, that's on the backhand wing, which she's comfortable hitting, will get the ball out of Ostapenko's strike zone, as it did often in that second set. And, you know, again, that created a lot of opportunities, certainly to force Ostapenko to either move, have to move an additional step, which in the second set she wasn't doing comfortably, or it would force an error. And, you know, then Kasakino, if Ostapenko tried to perhaps slow things down a little bit, as she did in the second set, or as she did at points in that third set, Kasakina jumps on that. She's going to take that ball early. She can hit the forehand explosively. She is comfortable moving forward. She can incorporate drop shots as well. She played a really well-rounded game. It's just when Ostapenko's playing her best tennis, as she has quite frequently over the last two weeks, she's just going to beat you. That's why she's a Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club member because A, Grand Slam champion, French Open, when you win a slam, we're going to send you the invite. B, she held Kasakina to a 47% win percentage on first serve, a 40% win percentage on second serve. She was 10 of 12 on break points. And more importantly, Ostapenko broken at 4-all in the third set. Kasakina serving for the match up four, uh, up 5-4. Ostapenko gets up love 30. And then there's this long physical point, 15-30. Kasakina ends up winning it to get back to 30-all. Doesn't matter. Ostapenko rips a couple of huge returns to force easy errors. One of the, or I should say, one easy error, one return for a winner. She ends up breaking for five all. Now another loose game from Ostapenko for six five, and Kasakina actually gets up thirty love in that next service game. And the Ostapenko of 2018, 2019, maybe she fades away in this moment. But the Ostapenko who has title on her mind entering this event, who enters this event coming off of a title in Eastbourne that saw her beat Pavlochenkova, Jabour, Kasakina, Rybakina, and Kontave, that Ostapenko is locked in, and she stayed locked in. And when she connected with returns, and sometimes it's hit or miss, sometimes she is swinging for the fences, there are going to be streaks of errors, but when that ball is landing in the court, you're just not beating her 
And more recently than not of late, the ball has been landing in the court for Yelena Ostapenko. And just throughout the course of this match, again, once she got that break for six all, there was a calmness to her. She never got over flustered. There were still Ostapenko moments, of course, where there's a facial expression or there's a little sass to the umpire, and that's what makes her so lovable. But that firepower, she's learning to rein it in. She's learning to control it, and she's learning to unleash it in exactly the right moments. Just She continues to play on her terms. On this surface, the weight of her shot, just so difficult to respond to. And even an athlete like Kasakina was resolved to just hitting the backhand slice out of the corner because there's nothing else she could do. And if she once, the moment she did that, Ostapenko had her eyes on a ball where her feet were set. And when can, she can set her feet right now, she's hitting the ball too cleanly, too confidently. You're just not going to beat her unless you can overpower her. Kasakina wasn't able to do that. Ostapenko... You know, again, there was a couple of bouts of errors, but ultimately she plays some of her best stuff down the home stretch. 6-1-3-6-8-6. She advances over Daria Kasekina. She's got a date next with Alia Tamjanovic. And you look for Ostapenko, 26-15 and 15 now in her last 52 weeks. You look at the numbers for her, though. Why I think it's safe to say she is playing not only just her best tennis since 2017, but I think the best tennis of her career. You look at that hold percentage for her. She's holding 64.7% of the time this season. That's up from her career average of 60.3%. Now, 64.7, you look at the tennis abstract leaderboard uh, for Yelena Ostapenko. That's not a top 10 number. That's not even a top 30 number. That number right now uh, ranks 40th amongst top 50 players. But that is up 4% from her career average. And why is her number up so much higher? Because she's making 4% more of her first serves. She's that number up from 54.8% for her career to 59% this season. It's a little thing, a low-hanging fruit. She's still winning about the same percentage of first serve points, about the same percentage of second serve points, but she's landing more first serves, minimizing the need to play second serve points. She's aggressive as ever on return points. She's winning 51.5% of her total points. That's a career high She is playing the best tennis of her career on this surface, in this moment. Again, the context of this 2021 slam, how open the draw is. There's no definitive favorite on a grass court because there was no 2020 grass court season because we don't know the exact health of Ashley Barty. When I say Yelena Ostapenko is, uh, you know, the third amongst odds favorites at plus 900, and when I say she's third amongst tennis abstracts forecast, uh, with that number uh, being at, uh, you know, 9%, again, that's third, it goes Barty, Kerber, Ostapenko, it's easier to make the case that that's correct then that's incorrect, and that's a testament to the level Yelena Ostapenko has shown. Now, again, no concern for Daria Kasekina. This loss has more to do about the draw than it does about her. I think this is a great second-round performance. I know that's a tough thing to say, a little oxymoronic, but you look for her. This grass court season was a step forward. Final, quarterfinal, three-set match against someone who oddsmakers have as the third favorite to win the tournament. You served for the match twice. There is a lot to build on for Daria Kasekina, who just has a game and an athleticism that translates across surfaces. But man, that this dynamic entering, and God willing, the next decade of tennis, Yelena Ostapenko, who you know still I think turns 24 years old here this year. She's got what? 
five to ten years, so the rest of this 2020s decade, if she is playing her best tennis, if that ceiling, which we all have always agreed is immensely high, if she gets close to hitting that ceiling and hitting it routinely over the course of the next decade, that's another card we have to consider when looking at the big picture. And I know Naomi Osaka, hard courts, if healthy, she's the favorite on those events through every Grand Slam on a hard court in the 2020s. But you know who's got the firepower and the peak and the confidence to beat her? The prime in Formulina Ostapenko. That's a wild card, God willing, we get to see played here now. And we get to see this consistency carry over because when Yelena Ostapenko is clicking, her power game is as good, if not better, than anyone else's. Three-set win for her, again, 8-6 in the third over Daria Kasatkina. She now advances to play Alia Tomjanovic. Those are the two breakdowns I wanted to offer on the women's side. I do want to talk quickly about, you know, not I, I suppose still a deep dive here, though not quite with as much depth. But Felix Ogier Aliasim advancing to the third round of Wimbledon. It's a step in the right direction. And today he had to play a pretty good, I would say one of his better matches as he knocks off Mikhail Yimmer, the dangerous young Swede, uh, in a four-set match, ultimately for Felix, 6-4-4-6-7-6-6-1. I think the big development is, again, we know what Felix is best at. The serve, the plus-one tennis, the ability to dictate with that forehand. I've said it a million times. I'll say it one more time. The sound coming off of his racket when he strikes a ball cleanly, it's different than the, the previous generation of players. Not Federer, you know, maybe Delpo from time to time. I would say Delpo with the most consistency. Stan from time to time. Burditch from time to time. Rublev's forehand every time, Sinner's ball every time. It sounds like a jet taking off. It's truly, you're in an airfield, that ball explodes off of the strings. And you know what the scariest part is? If you are, I suppose, a Felix opponent, he's starting to make that noise off of the backhand wing as well. And when he snaps that ball cross-court, the angle he's able to create, the pace he's able to create, the attacking tennis is there. His plan A, his ability when he's on his front foot getting into his patterns, he can beat anyone. That serve in this match win seventy two or makes seventy two percent of his first serves and win eighty percent of those first serve points, sixty six percent of his second serve points in a four set match. He's only broken twice. Those are damn good numbers, and I know, oh, but he's 0-8 in ATP Finals. 20 years old, folks, and he's made eight ATP Finals. I'm not going to continue to make that argument because I agree with you. He has to get, oh, agree with you. I'm arguing with a straw man here. I agree with the sentiment that he needs to get the job done in an ATP Final. I also think there should be a similar sentiment that says, A, eight ATP Finals by the age of, tw- uh, before you turn 21, it's a damn good accomplishment. B, to be a top 20 player now for the course of, we'll say, 18 months because we won't count the pandemic, That's a, before the age of 2021, 20, that's a damn good player. B, uh, you know, C, you look for him now at the slams of late. He's starting to get better and better, and it's so easy to forget for Felix Ogier-Aliassime because we get so caught up in the moment, but, you know, again... Still a really small sample size of Grand Slam matches in his career. You look now, he's 16 and 11 overall, 8 and 4 in his last 52. That's progress. You look for him. Fourth round of the 2020 U.S. Open, he ends up losing to the eventual champion, Dominic Team. Roland Garros 2020, straight set loss to Nishioka. There's no writing that one off. This year's Roland Garros, four set loss to Seppi. 
disappointing loss. But in Australia, four-set loss, he loses in 5-2 Karatsev, which in the moment seemed crazy, but we know what Karatsev has gone on to do. At this Wimbledon, he beats Montiero, he beats Immer, he's into the round of 32 at Wimbledon for the second consecutive season, your event, I should say. He did the same in 2019 when he beat Pospisil, he beat Moutet before getting knocked off by Ugo Umber. This is a surface where he should have success. And again, in only his second Wimbledon, he makes a second consecutive third round. Now, you, you might be saying to yourself, well, who is Mikhail Emer? I think Mikhail Emer is super, super talented. You look for the 22-year-old who turns 23 in September, currently ranked number 98. He reached a career high and had a lot of momentum on his side at the beginning of last season, was up to number 67 in the rankings, 15 and 16 in his last 52, but has made the ATP plunge, which you always have to respect. He's proven it at the challenger level, multiple titles there, but you look this season, exclusive, oh, I should say ex- exclusively minus the grass court season. He's just looking for grass court matches at this point. But other than that, exclusively ATP events. He tries to play qualifying in Rome, makes final round there before getting knocked off. He ends up getting into the main draw in Australia, which is really where this ranking is based. He makes round of 32 there, beats Hercots, beats Alcaraz before getting knocked off by Tsitsipas. He then gets into the main draw in Miami. Two wins there, another big event where he gets two victories, beats Tabilo, beats Basilashvili before losing in three to Rusevori, plays qualifying in Lyon, gets through there before losing in three to Rinderneck. Qualifying in Parma, gets through there, loses to Haumi Munar on clay. It's not a bad loss. He then goes to Roland Garros, beats Carbeas Benia, beats Gael Monfils before getting knocked off by Yannick Sinner, but that's another third round at a major. Eastbourne makes it through qualifying, loses to Davidovich Fokina. He's proven to be a top 100 guy. When you're qualifying for ATP-level event after ATP-level event, you belong at that level. It's just getting over that next hump is what solidifies you in the top 75. You get to start picking your schedule. But you know what the other path to doing that is? Winning matches at slams. And that's what Emer has done at his last three here and all three here in 2021. Third round Australia French Open. Second round here plays a good match against Felix Ogier Aliasim. He's just a guy, the harder you hit the ball at him, the bigger he's hitting the ball back. And if you give him any time, his athleticism, his ability to spring that ball from the outer thirds, go big down the line. He played a really, really good uh, match. Again, I think the tightness of the scoreline didn't have anything to do with Felix misfiring or misspring. Spring and the lack of development for a plan B is still a thing for Felix Ogiali. I seem when he can't play on his front foot while he's gotten a little bit better at defensive tennis, he's still not great at it by any stretch of the imagination, but he's getting better. And then again, when he was able to connect on his front foot, even someone with the movement capabilities, with the fluidity and the skill in the outer third of Mikhail Emery, just wasn't able to hang. That's how good FAA's best looks. You look for FAA now uh, in his last 52 weeks of competition, 32 and 23. That's a 58% win percentage. You look for him, though, here in the grass court season. Finals of Stuttgart loses to Chilich. Semifinals of Halle loses in 3-2 Umber. Now third round here at Wimbledon. Fascinating matchup coming up between him and Nick Kyrgios. But, you know, again, Felix moving in the right direction, becoming more and more consistent. He's delivered here, beating the players he should beat. 
That Kyrgios matchup, obviously a toss-up. He gets through that. He's into the second week. That certainly answers another question for him. Again, keep your eye on Mikhail Immer as we head to the summer hard court. He's going to continue to try to qualify into ATP-level main draws. When he does, it should surprise no one, but hopefully he's able to get a main draw win or two. Hopefully we'll get to see him compete more at the ATP level because certainly I think he's got a dangerous enough game that he can hang. And, you know, again, you look for Felix Ogier Aliasim now just to continue to update all of you in terms of his odds. He's odds maker's eighth favorite. Now it's 40 to one odds. So eighth favorite, but eighth favorite by a country mile, according to Tennis Abstract's forecast. He's the seventh favorite, but that seventh favorite comes with a 1.6% chance of winning the event. Of course, everything's lopsided on the men's side because Djokovic minus 190 right now, a 52.1% chance, according to Tennis Abstract's Wimbledon forecast, to win this event. FA is on the board, though. And again, I challenge any of you who are saying he 0-8 in ATP Finals and he's a top 10 contender to win a slam. Yeah, right? Go make your top 10 list right now. You're going to put Murray ahead of him? I say no. Are you going to put, like, an RBA ahead of him? I would say no. I think they're equally—they're all equally unlikely. I think Novak Djokovic is winning this slam. That's where most people's lists start and end. But, again, if the exercises complete the top 10, FA has earned the right to be in it, in my opinion. He earns a tough four-set win over Mikhail Emer, but ultimately advances to the third round. And speaking of tough, you know what's difficult? Let's say you are one of the many Americans who have had the opportunity to receive your vaccine or both doses of your vaccine, and you're now ready to go back out on the town. And, you know, let's say you just moved to a new city. We'll call it Bindianapolis, and you've lived here for 15 months, and you've been out of the house and gone out and about and explored the city about four times, or you can count it on both hands, and you're just ready to meet new friends. You're ready to try out your lines. You're ready to see if people in the broad general public enjoy tennis as much as you like tennis, but... You realize you're not prepared to go out there. You haven't taken care of your own needs. We talk about it when we go out on the tennis court all the time. Does your racket have the proper tension? Have you recently re-gripped your racket? Well, Manscaped is a similar situation. You're just making sure all of the equipment looks good. You're making sure you're properly groomed. You're taking care of yourself the way you should. And, of course, when you think manscaping, there is no one you should think of more than our friends over at Manscaped, who are the best in the world. In men's below-the-waist grooming, they offer precision engineered tools for your family jewels, and they just launched their fourth-generation trimmer. You heard me right. The first generation, the second generation, the third generation, they weren't good enough. The fourth-generation trimmer, it gets the job done. It's called the Lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right, the 4.0, and you can join the over 2 million men worldwide, 2 million Americans, I almost said, 2 million men worldwide, not just Americans, worldwide folks who trust man's for their below-the-waist grooming needs. If you use our exclusive offer, our promo code NEWBALLSPLEASE at manscaped.com, you'll get 20% off and free worldwide shipping. Again, the code NEWBALLSPLEASE at manscaped.com, 20% off and free worldwide shipping. Make trimming time below-the-waist grooming time your favorite time in the bathroom, manscaped.com. The promo code is NEWBALLSPLEASE. Again, I'm taking uh, peer criticism, peer reviews each and every time we do those ads. I'm trying to 
incorporate them more and more smoothly into the podcast if Manscaped's something you're interested in. If you just want to comment on the ad reads, if you have suggestions, at Great Shot Pod, you know where to find me. But with that in mind, let's move on, talk about the upsets we saw occur on day four. Was relatively calm compared to what we saw yesterday, but you look overall, I mentioned the upset of Kasekina. That's a seed who was knocked out, but again, Context being key, not sure exactly if we consider that an upset. We did see three on the day, though. Alina Svitolina, your number three seed, another tricky loss for her. And it's worth mentioning, she was a semifinalist here in 2019. You thought maybe that institutional know-how, her experience on the surface in, again, an event where very few players have played more than 20 grass court matches would help her in the end. But no, ultimately, Magda Lynette, who came off a fantastic first-round three-set win over Amanda Nisimova, able to carry that level into this one, 6-3, 6-4, over Svitolina. Svitolina just never found a rhythm in this match, never was able to get into her patterns play, the sort of front-foot, aggressive baseline tennis that she's able to play when she's at her best, beating you to the spot, going down the line, dictating the flow of the rally, That wasn't the case in this match. It felt like it was on Lynette's racket. She was the one incorporating slice, opening up the courts, choosing when to go down the line. Svitolina was just passive in this match, and ultimately she pays in the end. Magda Lynette able to capture a 6-3-6-4 victory. And look, Svitolina, I think 26, 27 years old, she's not in the Pliskova category. I don't think that window has closed for her yet. If she's able to regain her best tennis, A, I still think the question has always been, is that ceiling for Alina Svitolina good enough to win a Grand Slam if that's the remaining question? She's done everything else you ask for of a tennis player in their career. That's the missing link, that and getting to world number one, and so often the two come hand in hand. Again, with all the young talent, with all the weaponry, you know, the power tennis of a Sabalenka, of a Sviantec, of an Andrescu, of an Osaka, they have weapons Svitolina doesn't. But she's got an athleticism, a tenacity, a broad skill set that allows her to compete against any opponent. She's got to be at her fittest, though. She's got to be at her most confident. She's not right now. Hopefully, she finds that rhythm entering the summer hard courts because she can be very dangerous on that surface. Still, Magda Lynette, fantastic variety. Just did a great job keeping Svitolina on her back foot. She advances with a straight set victory to round number three. Joining her will be Serana Kirstea, former quarterfinalist, keeps the magic rolling here. 7-6-3-6-6-4 over Vika Azarenka. Vika struggled on serve throughout this match and just you know, again, never really found her rhythm here at this Wimbledon. Struggled in both of her opening matches. Kirstea, made her pay for it. And Kirstea is playing confident tennis right now. Three-set victory for her over Azarenka. And then, you know, this was our Patreon match of the day. Rogers over Sakari, 7-5-6-4. The power tennis of Shelby Rogers won out. And it was interesting to hear Maria Sakari in her post-match presser say she was concerned about slipping all tournament long. She's so excited to play the Olympics, represent her country. She didn't want to jeopardize that here. That's not an excuse, and that's not what I'm trying to imply at all. But you could tell Sakari just wasn't that comfortable on the surface, that she played tentative throughout. And you can't play tentative against Shelby Rogers because if you offer her time, and space, she's going to take it. She's going to go big down the line. If she's landing, she's going to beat you. And today, she was landing. First serve, excellent throughout the course of the match. She knocks out Maria Sakri. Uh, and you look through the first two rounds. We're in the round of 32, right? 16 seeds have been eliminated through the first two rounds. Svitolina, Kennan, Andrescu, Serena, Bencic, Kvitova, Azarenka, Sakri, 
Burton's Pegula, Kanteve Martic, Risk, Kudermatova, Kasikina, Alexandrova. You look more granular, six of the top 12 seeds out, seven of the top 15. Again, in terms of the surprising upsets, Svitolina surprises me. Azarenka surprises me. Sakari, or I suppose Kennan's huge shock, considering that was two. Uh, I'm blanking here. I can Madison Brangle. Um, you know, outside of that, again, given who the losses were to, the Conte one surprising, but uh, you know, certainly again, uh, that was just uh, a really good match from Vandrusova. It's WTA tennis, 16 seeds out in the first two rounds. I feel like that's what we've come to expect here at these slams of 2021 Wimbledon par for the course. On the men's side, two more upsets added to the list. I mean, Gael Monfils was never playing his best tennis. He went five sets in his first match with Chris O'Connell. Pedro Martinez, just such a tough test physically. Right now, Martinez clearly playing the best tennis of his career. He is hovering right around that top 100 right again. He earns a 6-3-6-4-4-6-7-6 win over Monfils. And then Sasha Bublik, Nick Kyrgios with worst press. We say it all the time here at Cracked Rackets. That serve, it's top 10 in hold percentage amongst top 50 players in Obviously, Bublik has had the best results of his career this season, has made a couple of ATP finals. He knocks off Grigor Dimitrov. It's a bad match for Grigor. Big serves into that backhand all match long. Bublik so efficient with that first strike, doesn't let Dimitrov move the ball around, use his forehand, get into that inside-out, inside-out, inside-in forehand game he loves to play on the outside of the court. 6-4-7-6-7-6. Bublik found big serves in the biggest moments. He advances to round three. And look, with his athleticism, sneaky fluid for a guy who's 6-6, comfortable moving forward, comfortable playing with variety, the rocket of a first serve, the aggression you need as a returner on grass. I'm not saying he's going to win Wimbledon someday, but if I told you he makes a quarterfinal, at some point in the 2020s, I think we'd all believe that. And uh, again, matchup perspective, for him to win this match proves he belongs in the top 40, which is where he is right now. On this surface, with this Grigor Dimitrov, who hasn't found his rhythm and has dealt with a ton of injuries, that's a match Bublik should win. He does in straight sets. 13 men seeds eliminated thus far in the 2021 Wimbledon. Tsitsipas, PCB, Rude, Monfils, Demonauer, Dimitrov, Sinner, Karatsev, Umber, Basilashvili, Opelka, Isner, Davidovich, Fokina. You look at that list, I would say Isner, Nishioka, maybe Tsitsipas versus Tiafo. Outside of that, with context being key, I think you can talk through the rest of the upsets we've seen on the men's side, but those were your upsets on day number four in terms of the matches that went the distance, the other results. Uh, we did have three set matches. Mukova Georgie, fantastic match. Georgie really did play some good tennis here in this grass court season, but Carolina Mukova is the real deal. Her athleticism, her first step, solid off of both wings, comfortable moving forward, doesn't overwhelm you with anything, but can do a little bit of everything. It translates across surfaces. And she earns a 6-3-5-7-6-3 win over Georgie. Sevastova, great bounce back from her. Just her creativity, her ability to keep Kostyuk on the back foot. 1-6-6-4-6-3. She advances. You also had a win from Tomjanovic. 6-4-0-6-6-3. You always love a middle set bagel, but ultimately you advance as Tomjanovic is able to to do. And now again, she's got a date with Yelena Ostapenko. And then Sinyakova, three sets over a much closer to being back in form. Coco Vandeweghe, 4 6 6 2 6 2. That's a good win for Sinyakova, but a good sign from Vandeweghe. She is healthy now, getting closer to her top form. On the men's side, 
two five setters, Roberto Bautista Gut, survives against Miamir Kasmanovic. He was up a break, three two coming out in the fourth set today. This was a match continued over from or carried over from day three. But Kasmanovic came out swinging four straight games to close out that set six three. Now ultimately RBA advances six three in the fifth set. Kasmanovic is a bit of a tennis chameleon. The better the opponent, the better he plays. Rock solid off of both wings. Can do a little bit of everything, but doesn't overwhelm you anywhere. I would argue not as good of a volleyer relative to his competition as Mukova. Not as big of a serve relative to his competition as Mukova as well. Will put returns in the court, but definitely offers you chances to play attack, uh, attacking tennis to be the aggressor if you're his opponent. Is a fantastic counterpuncher and is an absolute ball machine. Just the definition of a guy who spent his life at IMG. Just doesn't make the mental... Oh, I suppose he does make the mental mistakes, but just has the rock-solid fundamentals uh, and that was a really fun match between he and RBA, but ultimately RBA, that inside-out forehand, the biggest weapon on the court. He was able to create enough space, enough openings. He gets through in five sets, and then the best story in Wimbledon right now might be Taylor Fritz, the 31 seed. Gets through his first-round match, four seed sets against Nakashima. Gets through his fifth-round match, five sets after blowing a two-sets-to-love lead against Steve Johnson. Why is he the best story? He had surgery on his meniscus three weeks ago after he had to leave his French Open match in a wheelchair. Gotta love modern science. Then the wonders of it, again, this is why you listen to the scientists. They come up with the vaccine. They can make Taylor Fritz a bionic knee and make him functional in three weeks. His serve, his power, this surface, it's always made sense. This was always going to be a place where he could have his biggest results that he's done it under this context with these injuries. Just a fantastic story. And he ultimately advances again, five sets over Steve Johnson. Now you look for Taylor Fritz, who he's got next. Alex Zverev. That might be the end of the line. Certainly two guys he knows well, two California guys in Nakashima and Johnson. That helps in the first two rounds. But hey, his serve, his aggression on the return, who knows what happens. But for him to even hold seed, get to the third round, that's absolutely a win for Taylor Fritz. He advances to round number three in five sets over Steve Johnson. Now, you look at the other results on the day, and this is the first day we didn't have any not finished due to darkness. We'll start with the women's side. Ashley Barty looking better and better. Still hasn't played her best match, still hasn't found her best form, but regaining her rhythm, which is what week one is for when you're the number one seed. 6-4, 6-3 win for her over Blinkova. You also had a straight set win from Krejcikova, who another player like Amukova, all court game. It just makes sense everywhere, but she does have a little bit more pop and a little bit more aggression to her. 5-4 and four over Petkovic. Pavlichenkova, 3-3 three and three over Pliskova, but it was Kristina, not Karolina. Coco Goff continues her ascent, 4-3 and three over Vesnina. Bedosa Jaber, best result of her tournament, 3-1 and one over Putin Seva. You also had a really nice win from Kaya Yuvan, who followed Follows up her upset of Benchich with a 3-4 and four win over a fellow youngster in Clara Burel. Surprising win of the day probably goes to Radsenau, who knocks off Vandrusova 2-4, and four, and then Sasnovich, Radkanau, I, I know I butchered the pronunciation, I apologize, and then Sasnovich 4-6 and six over Habino. On the men's side, seeds continue to rock and roll. Medvedev, Zverev, Federer, Berrettini, straight set victories. They all looked comfortable in them. Medvedev in particular, 4-1-2 over Alcaraz. Really, really well done. 
most surprising dominant performance in terms of seeds today, but it belongs to Hubi Hercots. 3-2-4 and four over Marcos Giron. That first serve is landing, and when it is landing, he is 6-6. You forget that he can serve at a top 15, top 10 level when he plays his best, but more importantly, it allows him to take chances as a returner, allows him to be a little bit more aggressive, use his wingspan to his advantage, allows him to hit a few more drop shots, hit a few more chip and charges, be aggressive down the line, show off his variety, and you know, just Giron didn't have a big enough weapon to hurt him today. This surface could be a really good one for Hercots. Again, given his physical profile, 6-6, comfortable moving forward, he ultimately advances 3-2-4 and four over Giron. You also had wins from Garin, four sets over Pullman's first. Uh, this is only the fifth time in Christian Garin's career that he's won two matches at a non-ATP uh, clay court event at the ATP level. Speaks to A, how clay court dependent he's been, but B, development to win. Chalk it up for a win for the Chilean tennis fans. Uh, but ultimately, Guerin, again, 7-6-6-2-2-6-7-6. Sinego, four-set win over Galan. You also had wins from Nori, 3-1-2. and two. That's a really nice win for him. Over Alex Bolta, then Chilich, 7-6 in the fourth set over Bonzi. In terms of your non-seeded victories today... Nick Kyrgios, great follow-up for him. 6-4-4 four, four over Jean-Luca Magier. Matchup with FAA Looms. That's going to be some power tennis. That's going to be a fun one. Bedene knocks off Nishioka. Duckworth, upset over Sam Query. Disappointing result for Sam, but good result for Duckworth. You then had wins from Ivashka over Shardy. Jordan Thompson knocking off Kei Nishikori in four sets. Those were your day four matches. Now, again, we're done with the second round. Just want to run all of you listeners through where we are at in terms of the forecast, the futures odds for this event. You look right now in terms of the women's field. Uh, Barty, plus 350, pretty comfortable favorite. She's trailed by Sabalenka, plus 675. You then have Ostapanka and Shviantek, plus 900. Goff, 10 to 1 odds. Kerber, 11-1, Muguruza, 12, Mukova, 16, Rabakina, 17, and then the tier of Pliskova, Samsonova, and Jabur, 20-1. Jabur's too low on that list. Honestly, so is Muguruza. So is probably Kerber. Goff being fifth, 10-1. I'm a believer in Coco Goff, and I suppose I'm a believer in all of these players, but A, the Sviantec love... Shmiontek, fourth favorite according to Oddsmaker. She's not in the top 10 of Tennis Abstract's Wimbledon forecast. That number goes Barty 1, 29.5. Kerber 2, 11%. Ostapenko's at 7.5%. Pliskova 6.9. Muguruza 6.5. Sabalenka 5.9. Goff 5.6. Jabour 5.3. Rabakina 3.1. Keys 3.0. I know that's a lot of names and a lot of numbers. The key being Barty, the favorite across all metrics. Ostapenko top 3 across all metrics. The numbers, both, the numbers like, I would say, it's funny, the the public likes Mukova more than the numbers do. The public likes Goff uh, more than the numbers do. Rabakina, I think, is properly ranked in the top 10, bottom half of the top 10, but she belongs there. Pliskova at 6.9% in the Wimbledon forecast. That's a testament to her pedigree. Obviously, uh, her being at 20 to 1 odds feels about right. And then, I mean, whoever wins between Jabor and Muguruza tomorrow should be top five because that player can very well beat Arena Sabalenka and is probably the favorite to emerge out of the bottom half. Those are your women's odds. On the men's side, Djokovic, still a prohibitive favorite. Minus 190, a 52.1% chance to win the event, according to the Tennis Abstract forecast. 
after him, the forecast and the odds differed. Now, Medvedev, plus 550. Berrettini, plus 900. Federer, plus 1100. Those are your same top four as the forecast. It just goes Federer, 10.8. Berrettini, 10.6. Medvedev, 8.4. After that, big dip in the forecast. Odds makers have Zverev in that Berrettini Federer uh, tier of players. He's 14 to 1 odds. After that, there's a significant drop off, much like there is in the forecast. For the odds, it goes Rublev 28 to 1, Murray and FAA 40 to 1, and then Shapovalov, Kyrios, and RBA 50 to 1. Those are haha, not happening odds. In the forecast, Rublev 3.9%, Zverev 3.2%, Chilich, FAA 1.6%, RBA 1.5%, Evans 1.3%. Stjokovic is to lose. That's the takeaway. Anyone who's watched the tennis unfold, not just at this event, but let's be honest here in this 2021 season, until we have a new data point, until we see a fantastic Berrettini performance. I think we got it today from Medvedev in his straight set win over Alcaraz, but still not to the level where you're like, hey, could he beat Novak Djokovic? Need to see a little bit more out of them as their competition level raises, or their level of competition raises in this event, certainly. We will see them tested, but that's where we're at in terms of the forecast and the futures odds. Now, of course, many of you will be listening to this podcast as day five is already underway. So I will keep my preview of the day brief. I have my top 10 matches on the day. Again, it's third round matches. So many fun ones to choose from. My Crack Rackets Patreon match of the day obviously goes to Muguruza and Jabour. That's one with significant implications. I've already listed the case. I won't repeat myself here, but that's a super, super fun match. After that, Number two, and my only other men's match, I believe, in the top five. Oh, no, I have, I have two next. It goes Muguruza Shabur, then Evans Korda. I think Evans is on upset alert. I think Sebi Korda is a top 30 guy at a minimum right now. When he plays his best, he even sniffs on the top 15. I laid out all the stats in today's GSP Ace of the Day, so hopefully you've all already listened to that again. I'm assuming you've listened to that before you're listening to this as the matches are unfolding or as you're commuting to work. Uh, Evans quarter match number two, Hatchinov Tiafo, two guys, three out of five sets, brings out their best tennis, two guys, funky forehands. That match is going to be very, very physical, very, very fun. Then we've got the display of power tennis, Rogers Rabakina. After that, how how does Osorio Serrano, the former world junior number one, handle the power of Arena Sabalenka? That's match number five. Six, Shapovalov Murray. If Murray's in Shakira mode, his hips don't lie. We'll see what happens after that. Keys Mertens, Steven Samsonova, Djokovic Kudla, Rublev Fodinini. Overall, should be a fantastic day five of matches. Of course, if you have missed out on any of the action, over the course of this 2021 Wimbledon. You can catch up on it all on our website, CrackedRackets.com. If you need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we are at CrackedRackets. You want to message me directly, I'm at GreatShotPod. A shout-out, as always, to our super producers, Max Ligner and Daniel Westoff, for the f*** of an editing job they do day in, day out. A shout-out as well to our friends at Tennis Point. Remember, Tennis-Point.com. The promo code is CR15. With that in mind, for my wonderful super producers, and Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, and for all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Crack Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.